of love that little broke thing they do for Paris, don't you? That's just sort of strange. Um, I hope that you got to hear last weekend's message. Uh, so before I start talking today, let me just say, if you didn't get a chance to hear last weekend's message, could I encourage you to either get the CD or download it on the internet, because you really do need, to some degree, last week's message before you'll have a complete and full understanding of what I'm going to talk about. But let me just give you a quick snapshot of what we talked about last week. We said heaven is a real place. Uh, Beyond that, it's not floating on a cloud and twanging on a harp. It's not one everlasting church service. It's like this life than we realize. It's just an awesome place where God is free to make everything in the world or in the universe that will make you happy. We saw that there's an intermediate state where those whom we love had gone to be with God in this place God calls paradise, and there's going to be a new earth and a new capital city, and it's just awesome. So if I keep going, I'll re-preach last week's message, and, and for those of you who heard it, you're saying, okay, Mark, we're ready for something new. But the reason why I give you that before we begin today is this morning is not really going to be a sermon. It's a workshop. So if you do take notes, if you're ever inclined to like take a few notes or whatever, this morning is a good time for you to take some notes because we're going to cover a really, really interesting topic, I believe. And I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've I've brought two other series on heaven here at New Spring. One was in 1993. The other was in 2001. And even with all the messages I brought on heaven, I've never tackled the topic that I'm going to tackle this morning. And I think it's so important. Before I get to that, let me just tell you about something that happened to me probably five or six years ago. I was flying back from the West Coast. I've been speaking out in the Los Angeles area, which, by the way, if you've never been to the West Coast or L.A., it's just a different world. It's a different environment. Some of you may have lived out there, and, and it is culture shock from a kid from Texas who spent the last 22 years in Kansas. But I, I remember flying back and on the airplane, and I think we were, we were on the little leg between L.A. and Phoenix, and, and the guy sat down next to me, and uh, he, you know, he kind of talked to me, made small talk for a few moments, and then he asked me what I did. And I'm always waiting for this. This is always a real seminal moment for me when I'm on an airplane and somebody says, what do you do? So I told him, and that really set him off. It really made him angry. I mean, I just, I told him, I said, I, I pastor a church. Boom, man. He just like, he spontaneously combusted right there next to me in the seat. And it turns out he was a biology professor at one of the universities on the left coast. That may have been Cal Berkeley or something. I think it was. But anyway, he just got, he lost it on me and telling me about all the things that Christians did that made him angry. And Christians do a few things that make me angry. But I mean, he, this guy just went off the, off, the, off the edge on me and I just sat there and listened. I didn't talk back to him. I think he was waiting for me to be defensive or whatever so he could really pour it on. But I just sit there and listen to him. And finally, he calmed down, you know, and he said, well, you know, he said, I guess there's a little bit of benefit to what you do. He said, you know, um, you know, people need a crutch basically to lean on. And so you sort of give them a crutch that maybe gets them through the hard times. But he said to me, I tell you what I do hate. I hate that pie in the sky kind of stuff. I said, you talking about heaven? Yeah. He said, that's just the nuttiest thing in the world. The idea that I'm going to live my life and then I'm going to go to this place that's really wonderful. I hate that. I don't even like that at all. I said, oh, I thought he's no, he's surely no mood for me to give him my fresh preach series on heaven. So I just kind of sat there and waited for him to talk. Now here's, here's the facts guys. Within a few minutes, he started telling me about everything that was messed up in his life. And he had a whole litany of stuff. He was on multiple medications, which I'm not against medications. Thank God for them. He was on multiple medications. He told me none of them were working. His marriage was a mess. His kids wouldn't talk to him. And he was just totally angry. And I thought, and I think I did get up my nerve and tell him, I'm so sad for you. He said, why? I said, well, because 
you're unhappy in life and you don't have any pie in the sky to go to. Now, here's the deal. Here's what I'm getting to. I think there's a natural reluctance to believe in heaven. I think, and, and the thing is, we put the, the people that have a hard time believing in heaven will put the onus on the concept of heaven as though there's something wrong with heaven. But what I want to share with you today in this workshop that you and I are going to do is the problem is not with the concept of heaven. The problem is with us as human beings. We stress with it. And, and I'm going to talk to you today about the top five reasons why it's so hard to believe in heaven. And we're going to count them down from, from number five to number one. But before we kind of go off on that, you know, that agnostic professor or atheistic professor from the left coast, couldn't we say that we have a little touch of this ourselves? Because I hear people, and I'm talking about Christ followers, they'll talk about somebody in their family and they'll say, well, you know, my mother died, my father died, my brother died, my uncle died, whatever. And then they'll say, they'll say the obligatory thing that we always say in our culture about heaven. They have gone to a better place. And where are they? Well, I don't know, but they're in a better place. Isn't that strange? I mean, it's like everybody says that. Well, I mean, somebody can die, you know, in pop culture or whatever, and then they'll interview his friends or whatever the media types, and they'll say, well, they're in a better place. And I want to ask you a question about how we react to that, because many times when someone we love dies, we say they're in a better place, but I'm reading body language, and our face doesn't say that they're in a better place. I mean, for instance, you find a better place to get your dry cleaning done, you're going to be all over that. You go tell your friends, I found a better place. It's less expensive. They do a better job. I found a better place to get my clothes clean. Pew, it's all over our face. You find a better place to buy groceries, you're going to tell people, man, I'm shopping in a better place. You find a mall where the prices are better, you know, you say, hey, I found a better place to buy my clothes. And hey, let's not even get started talking about a house. You, you move from a house that has, you know, to another house that has twice the square footage and a nice yard and a deck and, you know, a pool. And you're going to tell your friends, you know, we're living in a better place. <laughs> or, you know, I had this terrible job. It was a dead-end job. It was a glass ceiling. And, you know, I was a woman and, and, and it just got frozen out of everything. Or, or I, I, you know, I, I just wasn't being given an opportunity to do what my, my, my skill base and my gift, gift base allows. But, you know what, I got a better job next week and Monday. I'm going to a better place. Why is it that when we talk about heaven, we say, oh, yeah, uh, grandpa's in a better place? I, I, a minister was asked, because I'm not just putting this on the congregation. It, it's true for all of us. A minister was asked. So I asked him, what do you think heaven's going to be like? He said, I suppose it's going to be a place of eternal bliss, but it's so depressing, I really don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> I think we all have a touch of that. And, and even as much as you love heaven and believe in heaven, there's the side of us that wrestles with it. So today we're going to workshop. We're going to count down the top five reasons why it's hard to believe in heaven. And my hope is that when we get through, you'll be able to identify those and get those, you know, run some, run some virus software over your, in your brain and get these out. And you're going to look forward to heaven, I believe, in a whole new way after today's message. So here is number five. Are you ready for it? Top five reasons why it's hard to believe in heaven. Number five, the idea of forever forever. I think the idea of forever just absolutely blows our minds. Why? Because from the moment we were born, we were taught to watch the clock. And especially as it regards good things. We have a saying in our life, and people say it to us, and I think I may have said it a time or two. We have the saying that says, all good things got to, oh yeah, all good things got to come to an end. Because we believe what we have learned from the very first moment of time is that there is a limit on life and good things. 
I remember the first time I was six years old when my parents took me to Six Flags in Texas, and I thought I was an absolute paradise. But after I rode all the rides, night came, they shot off fireworks, and they said, you got to go because we're closing the gates. I think a lot of people think life is like that. You go through life, you enjoy it, but after all, we have been taught that there are limits, that there are time limits on life. We measure everything in terms of time. You buy a new automobile, you have an idea of how many hundreds of thousands of miles that automobile will last. You have an idea how many years it will last. You buy a new house, you understand it's not going to stay new forever because life as we know it has time measurements. We measure everything in terms of time. God comes along and says, if you'll believe in Jesus, you can have everlasting life. God tells us that he's going to take us to this place we're calling heaven, and we're going to live there forever. Now, we may embrace that. We may accept that as being true, but it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. We're workshopping this morning. Isn't it hard to really get that into our minds? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I used to ask my mom, God's always been here forever. When was God born? When did God start? And mom said, I am telling you, God's just been here forever. Well, I'm troubled by that because everybody I know was born at some point. Everything else I know has a point of beginning. And yet God comes along and says, we live forever. And I don't know about you, but for me, you know, trying to think about living forever with my mind and my experience and God's concept of forever in my mind, that's like taking a Pratt and Whitney jet engine and putting it in a Toyota Prius. It just doesn't seem to work. The framework, the chassis that I have in my mind has a hard time grasping God's concept of forever. And so what happens is with a lot of us, because our our mind can't grasp it, we kick it out. And we say, it doesn't compute. I'm kicking it out. It doesn't work. Here's what you and I need to understand. Time frames are a relatively new thing. The way God deals with things, there are no time frames. God is eternal. It's like when you're in geometry. Some of you just maybe came out of middle school and you were in geometry or elementary school, and you were taught that a line, you know, you represent a line with two arrows on either side because a line goes into infinity in either direction. And that's God. God has no point of beginning. God has no point of ending. God created us, and listen to me, God created us to be here forever. God created us to be in infinity, just as he is in infinity. But things got messed up. Remember in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit of the tree, you will what? Die. That is one of the most merciful things God has ever done. I mean, think about this. One of the cruelest things, one of the cruelest things that God could possibly do to mankind is to let us all live forever in a world that is so sin messed up. You know, when you look at child molesters and you look at you know the horrible crimes that have been perpetrated you know like the story this week of the young mother who was killed by her husband i mean i i know those are maybe extreme things but just think about how much pain and ugliness and separation and isolation is in our world if god came along to adam and eve and said "Ah, i wish you hadn't sinned you brought sin into the world but i still feel good to where you guys i'm going to let you live forever it would be a nightmare so god came along and said i'm going to put some time limits on this thing and then i'm going to start over you see what i'm saying it's not it's not eternity that's messed up we're messed up we have a hard time grasping. And listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. 
Hey, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, there's a time for you to switch pronouns. I'm not trying to ask you to change the Bible. I just want you to personalize it. I want you to put that like this. My new life will last forever. I was born again, the Bible says, not to a life that will quickly end. I'm in that right now. But I have been born again to a new life that will last forever. And the problem is with me. I'm going to trust God on that one. You ready for number four? Here's the fourth reason why we have a hard time believing in heaven. Number four, death looms between us and heaven, and we don't want to think about dying. I think when it gets right down to it, we like to think about heaven. The idea of a place like we talked about last week, we're all over that. But we have a little problem. Death and heaven come at the same split instant. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm not looking forward to dying. I mean, are you that way? I mean, can we just be academically honest with each other this morning? I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm not looking forward to dying. Every once in a while, I hear a preacher say, oh, praise God, I'm looking forward to dying. And I'm thinking, I sure hope the rest of your sermon is true. (laughs) I know what he means by that. He's looking forward to heaven. But we don't look forward to dying. Now, Let's talk about that for a few moments because we need to ask ourselves, what is this deal that I'm going to have to go through the worst experience of my life right before I get to go to the best experience of eternity? The whole deal is we don't really understand what death is. If we understood what death was, we'd have an easier time dealing with it. Now, when when we think about death, let's talk about it because we have funerals here at the church. And what happens is we'll bring a coffin right here to the front and we'll have flowers and often Lance will sing, and I'll speak, and I'll talk about the life that person lived in heaven. And then we'll walk down that aisle with the coffin. We'll place the coffin in the back of a limousine. We'll go out to the cemetery, and we'll leave that coffin there at the cemetery. Now, to our eyes, what is that just said? It said, the end. That's why we throw, I mean, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, my loved one's in a better place. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of like we really haven't thought about that better place very much, but death sort of forces us into that. And we're kind of like, if you're like me and you like to watch football, it's kind of like when the team, you know, that's down four touchdowns has two minutes left to go and the quarterback just quits on the game plan and he just starts throwing the ball up as far as he can, hoping for something good to happen. And I think many people are like that. It's like they don't think about heaven very much, but when someone that they love dies, they just throw the ball up deep and close their eyes and say, well, I think they're in a better place. What is death? What we need to understand is death is not what it looks like to us. Death looks like the end, but death is not the end. The word death, you know, our English Bible's, our Bible's not written in English originally. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word that we have translated into our word death is thanatos. Thanatos means separation. It doesn't mean stopping. It doesn't mean cessation of existence. It means separation. A few weeks ago, I watched the space shot of the space shuttle. How many of you you have watched that? It's such a neat thing. And now the way they've got the cameras and, and all the sophistication, you can watch that thing go, you know, miles into the atmosphere. When that thing lifts off, it's got that big, you know, center fuel tank, liquid fuel tank, and it's got the two outside solid rocket boosters. But, you know, all that paraphernalia doesn't go on the whole journey, does it? No, 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 no. Man, I love watching that moment when, you know, you see those those two, you know, solid rockets fall off, and then you watch that center tank fall off, and then the craft rises through the sky to do its work. That is what death is like. Death is separation. 
And when a person who follows Jesus dies, they don't stop living. It's just this old body that we live in like, those, like the fuel tank and the rocket boosters. This old body drops off. Do you realize, here's the thing, do you realize that when you die, you won't know you died? God will have to tell you that you died. I mean, you'll get to heaven, you'll be, you know, there with everybody and having a good time. And God say, by the way, you do realize you just died, don't you? Because you're not going to feel like you died. And the rest of us back here on earth, we're going to be crying because we're going to feel bad about being separated from you for a while. But the real you is never going to die. Let me give you some scriptures that the Bible gives us, and we're going to read for a few moments. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Now, if you like to mark your Bible or if you just want to write down a word, write down the word transform because that's what death is about. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. There's a word again. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Do you know what death is all about? Death is about one thing and one thing alone. You and I can't take these bodies to heaven. We can't. And I'm 50 years old. I don't want to take this body to heaven. Bodies, the Bible says our body is the temple of the Lord. I'm missing some shingles on the roof of my temple. You know, some of my joints are getting a little creaky. I didn't think that would happen, but it starts to happen. And I'm thinking, I don't want to take this body to heaven. And God doesn't want me to take this body to heaven because here's the deal. Heaven is so awesome. If I walked into heaven in this body, I'd just blow up, you know? Because his body just couldn't handle it. It's too wonderful. So God's going to give me a body that can stand heaven and a body that will live forever. In fact, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible calls this body a tent, and it calls the body that God has made for us like a permanent structure. That's how they compare with each other. So here's the deal. When, when you and I die, and we, we say, well, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to think about dying. You have to. Or even if you're alive when Jesus comes back, you still have to be transformed because you cannot take this body to heaven. Death isn't stopping. The real part of you, and I know I tell you this all the time, but I just don't think I can tell you enough. The real part of you that's listening to me, that's cognitive, that makes decisions, that makes choices, that's self-aware, that part of you is your spirit, your soul. That part of you is going to go right on living. It's, I mean, I think that's why people, you know, we, every once in a while we talk about NDEs, near-death experiences. And I don't know how much we can bank on those, but I do find it interesting that people say, well, I hear music or I see my, you know, they'll talk about seeing Jesus or seeing their loved ones and they'll talk about going down a long hallway. Well, hey, you know what? It makes sense because that's exactly what Jesus says. To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. And we can say, well, my loved one died. What we really mean is their body dropped off. And the real person is free to be the person God has designed them to be forever. Jesus knew how we'd worry about this. He talked to a couple of ladies that he loved very much. Their brother had just died, and Jesus gave them what scholars tell us are the most profound words in the Bible. Are you ready? Here's what Jesus said in John eleven twenty six: Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Never die. You awake today, you're alive, you're not going to die. That part of you that's listening, you're going to go right on living. Try that on for size. Now, I, oh, listen, it's, nine, it's the 930 service. I got to throw one thing in. I'm not sure this will make the 11 o'clock cut, but this is just so good. 
I remember in mathematics when I was a kid, you know, you, you do the division problem and you get to one of those, um, you know, where you've got a repeating three or a repeating six or a repeating nine, and, and you've got to have some way to show that no matter how many times you perform the act of division, you're going to get that, you're going to get that, you know, that numeral that's just going to keep repeating out into infinity. Do you remember what they taught us to do with that? Or at least I can tell you what they taught me to do with it. They taught me to draw a bar over it, right? Is that, they still do that? You just draw a bar over the numeral because it says that that numeral repeats into infinity. Yeah, all the mathematicians here. Now, the Greeks, when they, you know, when they had their language, they had some really cool stuff that they did with words that we don't do. The Greeks had a way of basically putting that bar over a word to show that that word. I mean, it's like you just can't keep saying it because if you keep saying this word, you'll be saying this word the rest of your life and people will think you're crazy. So the Greeks had a way of setting off a word to say this word is so big it just repeats into infinity. And that little statement that Jesus used, he used that expression. You know the word? It goes like this. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, 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 never die. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's what God is saying to you. You're never going to stop. And, and so, see, even though we say, well, I don't want to think about heaven because death is in the way. Listen, you just got to get this old body to drop off so that God can let you be who you really were designed to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5 is one of the most important verses in the Bible to me. And almost every funeral that I speak, I bring this verse in. Because every once in a while, it's like when someone dies, we say, oh, man, I just hate this. This guy was so young. And, man, he had so much to live for. And why did God come and take him? You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, after talking about heaven and our new body, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says God has designed us for this. We weren't designed for this life. We were designed for the life to come. I'll talk more about that in reason number one. Okay, reason number three. You ready for number three? Here we go. Third reason, as we keep getting into more and more important reasons why it's hard to believe in heaven. Number three is my guy on the airplane I only believe because I want to believe, therefore it can't be real. That's what he accused me of. He said, the only reason why you believe in heaven is that you want to believe in heaven. And your life is not happy and, you know, things, bad things happen to you, so you invent heaven. It's a construct. You know, you invent heaven because you want to think there's a heaven. Well, that's, that's a fair question, isn't it? Because there are people who are in such dire straits that they'll invent something mentally to imagine that they're not in the problems that they're in. So maybe that's it. Maybe we just invented heaven. Well, I go to, I had to, when, when I thought about this question, I thought to myself, who's the authority? Who was the one who laid down the concept of heaven? Because we need to go back and find out who it was. Because if the guy who invented heaven, the guy who started talking about heaven, was the guy who was following a casket back, you know, 5,000 years ago, if it was Abraham and, you know, if Sarah died and he was going out to bury Sarah and he's saying, oh, man, you know what? I think there's a better life out there somewhere where Sarah's still living. And he wrote it down and we picked it up. Maybe we could look back on that and say, hmm, maybe we do just believe in heaven because we want to believe in heaven. And you know what? There were some strange prophets. I mean, God, when God called guys to be prophets, he called some unusual guys. If you don't think so, just read the book of Ezekiel Sunday. I mean, there are some strange guys. Elijah, he's my, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I have a lot in common with Elijah, but Elijah could be a peculiar guy. I mean, he, one day he's asking God to send down fire from heaven. The next day he's in a cave saying, oh, God, would you let me die? Please, I want to die. I'm no good. So what I'm saying is if you've got one of these guys, one of these prophets, you know, sort of wild-eyed guys, you know, if one of them said, oh, I got a revelation from God that we don't die, there's a place called heaven that we're all going to later on, okay, we could look at that. But who was it who talked about heaven? 
all the time. Who was the guy who started a lot of his stories with, the kingdom of heaven is like this? Who was the one who said, you know what, if you're having problems in life and people abuse you and misuse you, for my name's sake, great is your reward in heaven. Who was the one who said, hey, don't let anything keep you out of heaven? You know, he said, even if your foot offends, you cut it off. That's hyperbole, but he's just saying, whatever it is, don't let anything keep you out of heaven. He was constantly talking about heaven. Who was the one who looked over at a thief who was dying, who just prayed a prayer, and he said, you're going to be with me today? Who talked about heaven? I want to make the point that it was not some grief-stricken person who was following a casket. It was not some wild-eyed prophet. It was Jesus Christ himself who laid down the tracks, and he kept recording, and he kept recording, and he kept overdubbing until finally we say, hey, there must be a place called heaven. You see what I'm saying? You know, this idea we just believe that we want to believe, it comes down to who's the authority for it. Now, I, I have friends every once in a while who will say, well, I kind of, you know, think there's some good in the Bible, and I think if you, you know, follow the teachings of Jesus that you'll have a better life, but I don't really believe in heaven. And I think Jesus was a great man. Could I just tell you that options are not available to you? I'm telling you, I'm just saying. I mean, all, you, don't you expect me to be academically honest? I mean, I've, I've stood before you guys all these years, and I know I'm not the normal preacher, but I've always tried to be academically honest with you i got to be straight with you. Either there is a heaven that is everything Jesus said it was, or he is an abject, phony, and a total liar. Those are the only two choices you have. And so if you say, well, oh, man, I don't want to call him a liar. I really do believe. Well, then, okay, if he's not a liar, he's the son of God. He's been there. That's his zip code that he's writing about. And when he tells you about heaven, you got to say, okay, man, I'm not just believing because I want to believe. Let's check out what he said. Don't let your hearts be troubled. The word trouble there means pulled in two different directions at the same time. That's what death does. Death says, I want to believe they're in a better place. But, man, I'm here at the casket and I'm smelling the flowers. And really, Jesus in John 14 was preaching his own funeral. They were about to arrest him and he was going to die on a cross. He said, don't let your hearts be pulled in two directions at the same time. Trust in God and trust in me. You know what he's about to talk about? He's about to talk about heaven. What Jesus is saying is, I'm hanging all my integrity on this. I'm putting all my, listen, everything that you believe about me, I'm putting it on the table right now. Let me read it one more time. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. So don't tell me I just believe in heaven because I want to believe. I've talked to the architect. I've listened to the builder. I'm in contact all the time with the guy who's planning and working on the project. I don't believe because I want to believe. I believe because God has told us. Number two, reason number two, we're talking about top five reasons why people don't believe in heaven. We're counting down to, I believe, two of the most important. Here's number two. Reason why we have a hard time believing in heaven is we just don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. I mean, it's odd. We, they say the two subjects that you stay away from are politics and religion, but most Christ followers I know have talk about both those things all the time, sometimes too much. I mean, I've blogged about this this week. If you're into my blog, you heard me take a risk with, with the line in my blog. I think that the average American who is not a Christ follower knows much more about Americans, Christ, American Christians' politics than they know about what we think about heaven. Because we don't talk about heaven very much. 
And I keep wondering why that is. It's true for me. I got thinking about this. I think I've talked more about sports this year than I've actually talked about heaven. Why don't we talk about heaven? Why don't we talk about it with our kids? Why don't we talk about it with our friends? I mean, let me ask you a question. If, if you and I who are Christ followers, and I know that not everyone here today is a Christ follower, and I'm so glad you're here. You know, we love you, and you're what gets us up in the morning, and we're just grateful that you would give us a seat at your table. But for many of you who are Christ followers already, could I ask you a question? How would it transform the environment if the people around us knew more about what we thought about life after life than what we think about this life? When I read about the first century believers in Rome who were hounded and persecuted and taken to the arena, the one thing that they said over and over that had a huge impact on the Roman citizens in the first century was how wonderful heaven is going to be. I mean, that was what blew the minds of a lot of cynical Roman leaders. I mean, that's why Roman senators came to faith in Jesus Christ, because they listened to what their slaves said about heaven and how they lived their lives and how they went singing to their deaths at times, because they were always talking about heaven. Now, I'm going to guess one of the reasons why we don't talk about heaven in America is most of us who are Christians are trying to find our heaven on earth. But then something will happen. See, it's that throwing the ball deep and hoping something good happens. It's like, you know, as long as I'm healthy and my kids are healthy and, you know, my family's all right and I'm making enough money and I'm paying my bills and I'm living in my house and i got cable TV and taking a vacation, as long as I've got all those things, I sort of have my heaven on earth. But when somebody I love gets a terminal illness, ah, oh, man. Mark, do you know any books about heaven? Or, Mark, what's that series that you spoke of? And, and I'm glad for that, but I'm just saying, let's be honest with ourselves today. I really think that one of the reasons why we struggle so hard with the things of life is that we don't talk about heaven until we get backed into a corner and we feel like we have to talk about it. Like I said, I mean, it is a better place. And, of course, that's understatement of the year. That's like taking a guy in death row and saying, hey, you know what? You're not going to have lethal injection next week. You're free to go. By the way, we have a mansion for you out at Pebble Beach. It overlooks, you know, overlooks the golf course. I mean, it overlooks the ocean. And, and we've got two new Mercedes for you out there. And we've got the refrigerator stocked. And we've got money in the bank for you. And so you're going to move from death row into this incredible environment. And back at the prison, they're saying, where's Fred? And they're saying, well, I think he's in a better place. And the comparison I gave you can't begin to compare between the change between this life and heaven. So why don't we talk about it? Are you up for an experiment? Are you up? I want to give you an assignment. Three times in the next seven days with three different groups of people, I want you to perform an exercise. All you got to do is say, you know, while everybody's there listening to you, I wonder what heaven's going to be like. Now, here's the, here's the rule. Out of the three... Only one can be a new spring group, okay? Because if you go with three new spring groups and we've been talking about, that's cheating and that's not fair, right? Because a lot of you guys are already in that discussion of this series. So I'll give you one out of three just to give you a slow pitch, you know, to get you going. One of the three can be a new spring group, but the other two have to be non-new spring groups. And just be with some people that you hang with and you say, well, Mark, I don't, I mean, trust me, it will be an interesting discussion, just say, I wonder what heaven's going to be like, and then just let them talk. And would you do me a favor? Would you email me and let me know what, you, what happens, because I can't wait to hear that. All right. I got five minutes for number one. The 
number one reason why it's hard to believe in heaven. Are you ready? I don't know what to call this. I'm just calling it the birth effect. The birth effect. Every single one of us at one point were in the womb of our mothers. We were encased in the amniotic sac. There was amniotic fluid in front of us and amniotic fluid behind us. It cushioned us. We received nourishment and nutrients through the umbilical cord from our mother. And we thought life was great. We felt the warmth of our mother. There were sounds that would come. There were sort of nondescript sounds that would come from the outside, but we would react to them. But we were floating around, cushioned in that amniotic sac with all of our needs being met, and we're thinking to ourselves, I don't ever want to leave here. But suppose you go to that baby in the womb and you start talking to that baby. You know, they're doing a lot of things with technology today that sort of blow my mind. So let's say at some point we get the ability to talk to that baby in the womb. We say, hey, kid, you haven't seen anything yet. There's this place in Orlando. They call it Disney World. There's a castle. There's Mickey. There's Minnie. There's Goofy. There's rides that you can get on and all kinds of healthy foods that you can eat at Disney World. It is awesome. And that baby's saying, I've never seen anything like that. All I see just is, but I, I tell you what, I'm happy here. I'm comfortable here, and I don't want to leave. You say, hey, baby, you know what? There's some things that you really need to know about. On either side of this wonderful country called the United States, there's these oceans and waves roll in, and guys get on boards, and they ride those waves. And it's incredible. And you just got to see that. <clears throat> baby's saying, I don't, I've never seen anything like that. I, <clears throat> I know there's some fluid around here, but <clears throat> I've never seen an ocean. And you could keep that going all day long. And that baby's saying, I don't care what you've seen. I don't want to leave. I'm comfortable here. You getting what I'm talking about? That's where we are today. I mean, God has put us in this place. And as long as we feel like our needs are being met and, you know, things are okay, it was like, I don't want to leave this place. <laughs> I was just reading a lot on birth, you know, in the last few days getting ready for this because my youngest son was born 13-plus years ago, so it's been a while. But I love what one, ex one definition of birth was, and I knew the meaning of the word they used, but they said birth is being expelled from the mother. <laughs> I remember expelled. That's a word I used to use in school. I mean, I'm not going to go any further than that, but uh, <laughs> expelled meant you got kicked out. <laughs> And that's what birth does. Birth says you're expelled. And, and you know, there will be that point when that amniotic sac that has been such a welcome thing, such a home, will rupture. And the four waters of the amniotic sac will rush out and we will say the woman's water has broken. And then we're on a race to the hospital because that baby's not going to stay there anymore. And for all of you moms who have given birth, and all of you pale-faced, nearly passing out fathers who stood there and watched it, you will know that birth is a traumatic experience. And everybody is wishing that it wasn't happening right then at that moment. Mothers are making promises that they do not mean. And that baby, you know, I mean, it, it's so tough. But then there comes that moment when you hear that first cry and that baby experiences life. I really believe that the top, the number one reason why we have such a hard time believing in heaven is the womb effect. We're in this world, and we think it's everything. We want to stay. But there will come a moment where God says it's time to be expelled from this world so you can go to the world that you were destined to live in. And we won't like it, and it'll be painful, and it'll be ugly, and some things about death won't be very pleasant. 
But that's just God's way of getting us out of this life into the life that he designed us for. And I hope that these five things will just get all over you so that you will say, hey, you know what? Yeah, that's right. That idea forever, it creeps me out. I have a hard time with that. But I'm going to realize I'm the one with the problem. I'm the one on the clock. At least my body is. But God's going to make me last forever. I mean, think about these things. I mean, think about the birth effect. Think about how all five of these things play into our thinking. And then my prayer is that we'll shake them off and say, no, no, no. I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to trust God. I am going to live forever. And the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what we've experienced today. And Father, I pray that you'll take the frail words of my mouth and the powerful words from your word and that you will bring about a new understanding in our lives of what heaven is like. Father, it's not wrong to grieve. You've told us that we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Lord, help us to live every day of our lives preparing and planning for heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Head still bow for a moment. We're, we're, we're still kind of praying here. You know, a few, moment, um, a few moments ago I talked about how that every one of us is coming to the point of death unless Jesus comes first. And that's true. And when you die, instantly, you will go to a place, either heaven or hell. And the question that I would ask for all of us today is, do you know where you're going? Are you making preparation for your future? Next week, I'm bringing a message called Trip Planner. And it's all about preparing this life for the life to come. But the question I want to ask you is, have you settled? You know, I, there are times when I plan a trip, but I haven't, haven't really gotten the tickets yet for it. I plan to go, but I haven't gotten the tickets. My question for you is, are you, are you prepared right now? You say, well, Mark, I'm going to live for another 50 years. I pray you do. But you and I don't know if we're going to live another 50 seconds. And so my, my question is, have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Because that is what makes all the difference. If you put your life in his hands, his hands are not going to hell. <laughs> I mean, if you commit your life to him, he, he will birth you into his family and save you. Remember a few moments ago we read that line, the life that God has given us will last forever. But if you've never invited Christ into your heart and life, if you've never made the d- deliberate conscious decision to invite him in, as much as I love you, you're still on the wrong road. Would you be willing to turn around today? I'm not asking you to join a church because that won't do it. I'm not asking you to, to be baptized for this. It's a wonderful thing to be baptized, and it's very, very important. But baptism won't get you into heaven. I'm not asking you to start being a better person because that won't get you into heaven. Only one thing. And that is mentally, you have to think back to the cross where Jesus hung there. The Bible says he died for your and my sins. Not for his problems, but he willingly gave his life for our sins. A sacrifice. He, he paid a price. If you take all the bad things that you and I have ever done and will do in the future, and you added them up on a piece of paper, 
And they became an invoice. When Jesus died on the cross, that invoice was discharged. But you must accept him. Jesus is a gentleman. He will not force himself on anyone. You must accept him. And if you've never done that, I want you to do it right now. I'm going to pray a prayer of acceptance. And these aren't the only words. You can say your own prayer. But if, you, if you're wanting some help, then you can repeat this prayer after me. The important thing is that you mean it from your heart. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you paid for my sin. I receive you as my personal Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you meant that from your heart and prayed that with me today, the Bible says God heard your prayer. Whoever, that means anybody, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'd like to ask you to do something really powerful. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you detach your card and uh, you can just write on your card, Mark, I prayed to receive Christ with you. And it'll make me happy. You can drop it in the back of the boxes, the back doors, or at the bottom of the staircase, or in, when the offering's received in a few moments, you can drop it in there. And I want to, if you'll give me an address, I want to get you some easy-to-understand booklets this week that will help you know what it means to follow Jesus. And you can also, if you, there are questions you can share with me or prayer requests, you can do the same thing with that card. I'll be back in just a moment.